This week on the Rail Splitter podcast, we're going to talk about the nomination in 1860, uh, some new v- news events that are going on with Lincoln, and of course our weekly installment of This Week in Lincoln. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition. Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! All right, welcome to the second episode of the Rail Splitter Podcast, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeremy. I'm here with co-host Nick. Yeah, back for another week. That's right, we made it to the second week. Uh, We just wanted to real quickly... Mention that you can listen to us anywhere podcasts are, uh, hopefully. Uh, we're, we're on iTunes now, so if you search Rail Splitter or Abraham Lincoln, you don't have to scroll far to find us. We're also on Podbean. Uh, we're working on creating a YouTube channel, and we're working on Stitcher. Uh, hopefully, we'll keep adding spots where you can find us, um, but obviously, you found us if you're listening now, so... I believe um, we hit double digits. So we did. First week. We did. We're uh, we're growing for sure. So tell your friends. Tweet at us. Uh, we're at Real Splitter Pod on Twitter and Instagram. So make sure you reach out to us, retweet our tweets, and if you have someone that's a Lincoln enthusiast, recommend the show. Have we busted out of the land of Lincoln in listenership? We have. We have one listener in Wisconsin. Ooh, which, hello. Wisconsin yeah. night. Hello, Wisconsin. That's right. I love Wisconsin. Uh, we are we are close. We are coming at you from the land of Lincoln, uh, but we are not far from Wisconsin, so we do like our neighbors to the north. Uh, we did want to start today's episode. Um, this is a show for and by enthusiasts for Abraham Lincoln, who, as we all know, was tragically assassinated, um, and we'll definitely have a show or shows on that, but uh, the situation in Alexandria, Virginia... This week, where Representative Scalise was wounded, along with some staffers and some Capitol Police, um, just kind of wanted to mention that, and we're all hoping that Representative Scalise pulls through. We, you know, we noticed actually probably as we speak that baseball game's actually going on, so that's pretty cool. Um, but it's interesting when you think about what happened to Abraham Lincoln at Ford's Theater and what happened at the baseball diamond in Alexandria, Virginia, just yesterday you know what's uh how far have we come and 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 how i guess where are we as a nation um and it's kind of been a a time for some soul searching i think you know uh i believe i saw i don't know if you probably know better than me than better than i do but uh i believe in 1858 the whole house divided quote was spoken um in 1858 yeah uh tomorrow oh wow anniversary i believe so Kind of looking at the division. Hopefully, a, some unity comes out of this. It seemed to happen a little bit yesterday, at times with some of them. So, hopefully, that's a, some positive response and the coming together that America has shown many times in crisis happens again. So, right, yeah, I agree. And there's definitely some signs of that tonight. Um, Speaker Ryan and um, majority, sorry, Minority Leader Pelosi kind of had their first joint appearance where they were talking about how we're all on Team Scalise and talked about unity, and there's definitely a bipartisan showing at the at the ball game. You know, the thing that kind of jumps out at me is when you put those history glasses on and you look backward, 
it's shocking how easy it was for for John Wilkes Booth to get access to that box and to to take a Derringer and you know assassinate the president. Um, and it's like it's almost. I mean, people. Can, I mean, it's it's almost shocking. Like, wow! Like, there was literally no one there <laughs> to stop. You know, he all he, he literally just walked right into the booth. Now there was supposed to be someone there, but the lack of security seems laughable now. And I I can only hope that when we look back, or when generations maybe look back on the situation in Alexandria, that it's shocking to them that it was that easy for someone to do something like this. Agreed. So. Agreed. Uh, we do want to give a tip of the hat to a tip of the top hat, I guess you could say, Ooh, to the like Capitol that. Police. Yeah, <laughs> to the Capitol Police, who are you know certainly among the heroes uh, in that situation, and you know very unfortunate. Um, we're glad that it sounds like Representative Scalise is getting a little better, although his condition is still critical. So, um, kind of a parallel to to our hero, and um, you know hopefully we continue to get better, and uh, we don't continue to see this uh, this violence and, and we certainly condemn it and wish the best to the congressman from Louisiana also in the news uh, we wanted to mention that I saw a story come up in our local paper and then I read the full article in the uh, State Journal Register which is Springfield's paper uh, the Lincoln Papers you saw it in RR Star I did I did oh man did. yeah that is I know. I, uh, I've hated on our local paper a lot. Um, and that's not different than our hero, Abraham Lincoln. He was, you know, he definitely used the press to his advantage and hated on some journalists, yeah, too. Being that we're just starting this and we could use all the, the positive publicity we can get, we probably should be a little bit nicer than our hey, right now. So we saw Good this work. paper. Good work on that. I'm sure that if you're listening right now, we're all, we're, we're, we're trying, to, we're all trying to improve. I'm sure this show's not perfect either. <laughs> Um, anyway, the Lincoln Papers uh, was a or is um, kind of a, an offshoot of an agreement between the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum, the National Archives, um, and then it's funded through the state of Illinois. And essentially, there's about a hundred thousand, which is crazy to me, a hundred thousand Lincoln documents sitting in the National Archives, and they've just been sitting there for for a long time. And the story basically is saying that there are two people who, for the last few years at least, have had a yearly contract, and their full-time job is to go through those 100,000 documents and digitize them so that they're preserved forever, at least digitally. Two people for 100,000 documents. Exactly. I know. It's crazy. Um, And then once they get that digital or digitization of those documents, um, hopefully to get to a point where we can search them and they can be kind of cataloged in a way, because right now they're just simply digitizing them, and then the next step would be to, to create some sort of catalog. Anyway, the state of Illinois is no longer funding the Lincoln Papers project. Um, the story did its best, and those involved did its best to try to spin it in a positive way by saying that uh, you know the papers aren't going anywhere. They're still in the National Archives. They still belong to the people of the United States of America. Uh, however... Uh, they are just going to sit there. So it's interesting. Um, and you know, are- so I work a lot with, you know, um, archives through the Harlan Veteran Project. And it's one thing to get that stuff, but it's one thing, it's really very important to put that in order where it could be usable for so many people. And unless you have people looking through that, 
which is a time-consuming project for something a hundred thousand. I can't even imagine tackling that with just two people, and then to take those two people away and to leave all that knowledge, that content, just sitting there, basically in a. Well, I'm assuming it's not a box, but you know, just sitting in there in a room for nobody to see. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree. You yeah. know, two guys. You know, maybe two guys. Mm-hmm. You know, um, who have a podcast could go out there and maybe, <laughs> you know, help digitize some of that stuff. Sure. Yeah. If anybody wants a little side project for the for the rail splitters, um, I, I think there are a couple of things. I mean, really, I, I don't know if the impact of this is going to be huge for people outside of the Lincoln world. I think it's really going to impact, you know, doctoral students and, and real intense Lincoln scholars. I don't think there's going to be like a diamond in the rough where like all of a sudden they discover this groundbreaking new document that that exposes something really important about Lincoln. However, I think that this is a dangerous step toward toward not looking back at those things and looking at those things as important um, because the intellectualism is important, the research is important, um, studying Lincoln is important. So. The frustrating part, we have the technology now mm-hmm. to get it there. We just need the people to do it and get it up there and to put the time into it and organize it where it can be useful for all these people who want to go through it, you know, use it in their writing and research. And For sure. For sure. And, and what I'm nervous about is it being a first step of a cut in funding to history, to research. Um, <clears throat> our governor in Illinois, Bruce Rauner, uh, separated – the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum from all other state agencies. It's a standalone agency now. Uh, it used to not be, and in the, in the, at the time I thought it was okay because by separating it, making it its own standalone agency, now it's not at the whims of the state budget, which if you're from Illinois, you know <laughs> is, a, is a hot mess. Um, however, now we've defunded a very important arm, very important project of the ALPLM I just hope there's not another shoe to drop. Maybe we should reach out to Bruce and pick his brain about this on the podcast. Like Bruce, sweet sweet plaid shirt, by the way. Um, what do you think about maybe putting a little more funding to? Well, first, I, I will be honest. Let's first start with you know social programs that we desperately need funding for in Illinois, but also things like historic documents that belong to the people. Bruce owes me one because uh, we took a couple students down here a couple years ago and we bumped into him, inviting him to the gala. For the Harlem, every year the Harlem Veteran Project puts on this gala, and we invited the governor, and he didn't show up. Listen to this guy. I bumped, so, I bumped into Bruce. I'm big time. By that, I mean uh, I sent the kids to go talk to him because I was too scared. Um, so, but you know, you owe me, Bruce. Yeah. So just hey. come on the podcast. We'll call it even. I know a lot of billionaire governors are kind of our bread and butter from an audience standpoint. So you're probably <laughs> listening right now, Mr. Governor. Um, no, but I mean, truly, obviously, Abraham Lincoln is so woven into the state of Illinois and really the city of Springfield. I'm just nervous that this is a step in a direction that's going to make or try to make things like this funded from something other than the state or the or the you know the state meaning the country or the the state of Illinois. I believe that that all of this Lincoln's legacy, Lincoln's papers, they belong to us, meaning us the citizens of the United States of America. Oh, I thought the podcast? Yeah, they belong to Nick and I. Why they should have bring a hundred thousand here? But for real, I think that I think that it's important that 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 stuff get funded, and I and I think we need to be aware when when we cut back on stuff like this, it doesn't impact a lot of people, but it's a dangerous first step. So I don't want to get too political. You know, we're talking about you know so far gun control and support of 
intellectual research, but I really do feel that, that as Americans, we own those papers, and we should take care of them, and, and our tax dollars should do that. Bruce, bring us to, bring us to documents. You hear that? You hear that, Governor Rauner? Bruce? Rauner? Yeah, but look at me calling him Bruce. Yeah. I've just hey, ruined Bruce, it forever. Hey, Brucey. <laughs> um, anyway, so we'll try to bring some stories at you that catch our eye, especially as they pertain to Lincoln. So um, that was just one that kind of jumped out at me. So um, the topic for today or tonight, whenever you're listening, is the 1860 uh, kind of the election. We're going to talk first about the nomination. If we have time, we'll get into the um, election itself. Um, I think a couple things right off the bat that grab my attention, um, you know, obviously uh, we don't want to get too wonky into the politics of it, but I think there are so many parallels with how politics are today, and I think this plays a lot into Lincoln's legacy. How did he get the Republican nomination? And if you think about it, from a national standpoint, he served one term in Congress a long time before 1860. So he was kind of out of nowhere, and he's going up against some real rock stars politically. Uh, Chase Seward, obviously, the most, and Chase, among others, just, you know, very, very interesting. And I think really what got him the nomination was his reputation and position as a moderate, which is interesting because of the impact of his presidency. Was anything but moderate. Yeah, that C word was just a radical nut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, dang it, how could you be so anti-slavery, mm-hmm. pro-immigration? Did you just call Seward C word? Yes, I did. I'm like trying C-word. to think. I, was trying, I, I apologize trying to, about that. I, I was trying about to avoid swearing. Half a glass into that, and this will <laughs> happen often with me. I'm like, so I'm like, who is that? C-? I'm like, wow, I'm thinking of all the dirty words that start with C that you were trying just to like just censor yourself. all my credibility. <laughs> Throw so, my notes away. Uh, yeah, no, but you know, I if I were to compare this to recent history, I think that Seward is Seward, the Seward Lincoln situation is very similar to the two thousand eight election on the Democrat side. I, I think that, that Seward Lincoln Seward, there's a lot of parallels with Obama Clinton. Obama from Illinois. Obama Lincoln from, from Illinois. Obama from Illinois, Seward from New York. Hillary. Hillary's from New York. Oh, look at that. Um, Seward comes in as certainly the favorite, um, certainly the most respected, certainly the best resume. Same thing happened in 2008. More of a household name. Right. And I think name name recognition is interesting in politics, but he he was very much more recognizable. And it was one of those where, you know, it was kind of like, well, we all know Seward's going to get it, you know, so let's just kind of see what happens. And then it turned out that he didn't. Um, obviously, the s- setup was completely different. It's much more democratic now. It's much less convention based. But when you look at, well, you know, bringing up the Obama thing, mm-hmm. you know, a couple things how Lincoln starts to establish his name recognition. You know, I I think Obama was really at what convention was that two thousand four where he put you know the speech that kind of got his name out there. Well, yeah, but you want to talk yeah. about moderates? That speech is like the most. It's like yeah. the moderate speech. Yeah. So, and then, you know, like Lincoln gets his name out there through the debates, giving speeches to, mm-hmm. um, you know, against Douglas, and then just getting his name recognition on the East Coast through some speeches and getting recognized um, and things of that nature. And then Obama had a great grassroots campaign. 
And then I think Lincoln, you know, um, the wide awakes come about this kind of group of 20 year, 20, 30 year olds, um, you know, who really start to kind of rally behind Lincoln and his presidency and leading up into the convention, especially well after the convention as well, kind of this grassroots campaign. Um, so some parallels for sure, definitely. for sure. Um, and it's interesting how, you know, there's certainly are parallels. Obviously they were working the convention floor, um, and, and obviously now it's more about getting votes, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it, there's, those are similarities. I think there's also, I mean, that, that Obama speech you brought up where he's talking, you know, there is no, uh, Republican United States, there's no Democratic United States, there's only the United States, and he kind of got labeled as the purple candidate because he wasn't red or blue. And then in hindsight now, and I think we're, you know, we're not that far removed, but like if anybody wanted to argue anything other than Obama being very, very much of a liberal president, you know, he came to support same-sex marriage and universal health care and things that are not looked at as moderate by any stretch. So, and, and this always brings me back to a point about Lincoln, and I think it's going to be a point that we're going to talk about historically about Obama too. They're great politicians, and we need to judge them as politicians. So to sort of critique Obama for being a moderate, well, that he was smart enough to know that that's how you get elected in the United States. Yeah, I mean, both of them played the game the way it had to be played at the time, uh, masterfully. Um, right. You know, and, and that's what they did. Obama was dealt a different hand with the primary system, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, Lincoln will get into it, you know, working the way his crew worked at convention is, um, you know, some of the best politics we've seen. For sure, for sure. And I, and I think they both kind of ran as an outsider. I mean, Obama's outsidership was a lot different because he's running as, a, as an African-American. And, um, you know, the, as he said in that famous 2004 speech, the goofy-looking kid with the funny name. But Lincoln's Illinois he ran at the time. without a mustache, just a beard. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, he didn't have any whiskers at the time. Yeah, um, oh, that's true. But the when he ran, I mean, Illinois was the frontier. It was you know they called it the West. He was the first Western candidate. You know there wasn't a Midwest in 1860. It was you know we were we were out there. Uh, there wasn't anything you know anything. Not that there's a whole lot west of the Mississippi. Um, until you get to California, I didn't mean to, you know, no offense dude, to anybody dude, in Iowa, Nebraska. Uh, Wyoming <laughs> so, yeah. listenership right now. No, but. I'm a big fan just for the record of the West. I, I am too. <laughs> I'm going to Colorado in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, you know, kind of the frontiers guy and, and, they, and they played it up. We're, I mean, our podcast is called The Rail Splitter. That's based on a nickname that they gave him for the sole purpose of creating this down-home Western frontiersman kind of persona. Um, you know, he spent a lot more time pulling a plow than he did splitting rails, but plow puller would be a terrible podcast name. We're the plow pullers. I don't plow, know. It's got a little puller. charm to it. It's alliterative. Plow puller. Maybe it's all right. But anyway, Double the rail piece. splitter, the rail splitter, it just seems because, because really in actuality, he was sitting on a horse reading, probably doing a mediocre to poor job helping on a farm. <laughs> But rail splitter, you got like a eight foot axe, chopping it through giant pieces of wood. I mean, that's like it's tough, man. Oh, that's some, that's some great writing too. And Abraham Lincoln, the Vampire Slayer, too. Yeah, yeah, we'll have an episode on that for sure. And by the way, the book don't judge that work by the movie because the movie was a just disgrace. not realistic like the book was. Exactly, that movie. 
I'm not. I'm not gonna get there. there. It'll be a future episode, guaranteed. And I will tee off on that movie because holy cow, that was so just appalling. The book, however, tons of fun. Little side note, real quick. We went to a couple went out with us to that movie, and they hadn't seen a movie like since they've been together. And that was their first. I had a movie theater that is, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's the movie they ended up going to. Wow. To talk about feeling bad. Yeah. Yeah, who so, picked it? I mean, like, yeah, that's, yeah it was definitely, whoever does loses in the Definitely breakout. me and Kira picked that. So. Oh, that was you too? <laughs> oh, no, okay, you guys stay on a double date kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I felt terrible. Yeah, it's. I saw that at midnight. Like, I stood up to, like, 3 in the morning. The night like, it came out? The night it came out, I oh, saw it at man. midnight. I was so stoked for it, and I was so mad. And then I think I, like, the movie's bad enough, but then I also ruined everybody's time, so I was so mad about it. Man, you are a nerd. You should start a Lincoln podcast. I am a nerd, and I did start a Lincoln podcast. And I, I might start a Lincoln, how bad that movie was podcast. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I'll just a couple episodes. episodes. Get out of that. Yeah. <laughs> All I, it's just me being mad and and salty and swearing a lot. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think that if we're looking at that 1860 nomination, Lincoln's status as a moderate is really what led him. I mean, you can say, obviously, the, his performance in Lincoln-Douglas debates – Obviously, the Cooper Union speech, you know, he's, he's emerging as a leader, his writing. Um, he was a leader in the party despite not having a lot of experience. So it's not like he's this total outsider that just fills a moderate void. But he was politically astute enough to be enough of a moderate. And part of the fact that he was a moderate simply is because he was from Illinois. Like, in a convention-style election, or nomination, I should say, you can be smart enough to, or the delegates can be smart enough to say, we need Indiana and Illinois. The Republicans in 1860 were not going to win without Indiana and Illinois, and they knew that Seward wouldn't win Indiana and Illinois, and they needed them both. They knew Abraham Lincoln would. So that played a huge role. Him, him being a moderate well, yeah, played I a mean, huge role in that. Geography came in big time. Just look at the platform, the Homestead Act's part of it, mm-hmm. the Railway Act, and that's to appease California, you know, to keep them happy and stuff. So, Right, because, yeah, it's not like they're like, well, there's a giant civil war on the horizon. We need to pick somebody that's going to – obviously, that's not – no one had the foresight to, to see what was going to happen. Um, so they're not trying to pick a, a wartime president. They're not trying to pick a – you know, someone that's going to save the union. They're they're looking at things like the Homestead Act. They're, they're looking. I mean, obviously, slavery is the giant issue. Um, Here's a question for you. So you yeah. have the Democratic convention that happens. You know, late April, mm-hmm. um, about two or three weeks before Republican one ends up completely split. Mm-hmm. You know, people that say the Civil War is not about slavery. I mean, you could just look at the Democratic split. I mean, that was all about slavery there. Right. You know, you had mm-hmm. the Southerners of Democrats from the South wanted federal protection. And then you have Stephen Douglas kind of rallying around this idea of popular sovereignty. You know, let the states choose. Completely, you know, divides them. Do you think that impacted the Republican Party where they felt like they needed a moderate more than ever or had no effect whatsoever? Oh, I think it had a huge effect. I think when they split, when the Democrats split, the Republicans saw blood in the water for sure. I mean, it was – that election was – I mean, granted, Lincoln ends up with 40% of the popular vote, doesn't even show up on the ballot in many states. He was going to, there was no way he's not winning that election. Like, once he came out of the convention, once they had a candidate that was palatable in the East, popular in the West, like, he was going, like, the Republicans were going to carry the North. And that's where all the population was, and that's where all the electoral votes were. 
But I do think, I mean, it did come down to Illinois and Indiana. They needed someone that was for sure going to win the West because it's, it's kind of, it's, you know, similar. You know, you want to compare it to 08, if, you know, if you want. But it comes down to swing states. It came down to swing states, states then. It came down to swing states now. Or at least, it, you know, obviously it still does. Well, the convention um, itself had swing states. Right. Yeah. I mean, in a, to a sense. It's, I, I'm, I'm nostalgic for those convention-based nomination fights. I mean, I think it's I think it's neat when you talk about the fights on the floor and you know, who's who's supporting which candidate and how the first ballot has all the favorite sons or you know, and now favorite favorite offspring, I guess. <laughs> um, I think it's cool, you know. I mean, like the 1960 election, it's so fun to 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 read about Bobby Kennedy trying to make some deals and that struggle and Johnson and Kennedy and all that stuff. I mean, that I love that stuff. Can you imagine having twenty four seven news coverage of this eighteen sixty oh, convention floor? Oh yeah, that that's a great. That's actually a good question. Like, what would what would it be like if you've got you know the the Republican slanted media and the Democrat slanted media and you know, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. It'd yeah. be wild. Why yeah, because like because especially if you're on multiple ballots. Because I mean, this one only had three. I say only had three, but. You know, a major shift in the in the ballots, and it's crazy because if if people didn't vote for their native sons on that first ballot, and it's just kind of understood, like we're going to throw in a candidate that has no chance of winning, but you know, kind of controls the political machine in whatever little pocket of whatever state we're in. So they nominate their their native son, and um, it just kind of as a formality. But if they didn't do that, Seward would have won on the first ballot. Why don't we talk a little bit about like the major players going in? It? You know, I kind of feel. You know, it's kind of like the Royal Rumble. Oh, yeah, we got 30 guys that can win this Royal Rumble. Yeah. But, you know, in reality, it comes down to like four or five every year. Right, yeah. You know, you yeah. know the Hulkster, yeah, come on, he's going to be in it, Macho Man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're John Cena. So why don't we kind of break down? We know um, some of the major – for some of the listeners that maybe don't know all the major players mm-hmm. that they were going into it. Um, so I guess we could start at the top. I mean, we had um, – Big Will coming out of New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New York, New York. Willie Seward, uh, who you know he's from Albany, but still, I mean, is you know being from New York, he's got the New York delegation behind him. And was that a third you know, of the delegates at that time? It may have been. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, it was a lot, and you know, it. But that's another one of those things. Like you don't see a whole lot of candidates coming out of now. You don't see a whole lot of candidates coming out of California because you know any candidate is going to carry California. So that home state appeal isn't quite there. But Seward, and this is not a knock on Seward, clearly was too anti-slavery to carry the border states in the West. And Lincoln knew it. They used it to their advantage. There's a lot of stuff where the people, you know, there's a lot of people that want to point at Lincoln and say, like, he said this, he said that. And he did say some really terrible things, especially if you're looking at it with 2017 glasses. And he said a lot of those in the nomination fight. However, had he been using the words of, like, William Lloyd Garrison or, or even Seward, or, you know, if he was truly an abolitionist, and I'll argue he was not an abolitionist, he was a politician, and there's a difference, Um he wouldn't have been elected. He just would have been another name, or maybe not even a name. He would have just been a name that was on a handful of ballots as, you know, from some delegates of Illinois, and then he would have been an also-ran. But Seward was too abolitionist. Um, and then you had uh, Cameron coming out of Pennsylvania. Oh, dude, Cameron, he's like, what's something really dirty? Because something really <laughs> dirty, Cameron was dirtier than that. Yeah, I think he had that. I mean, and he was well-known for that already at right. that time. 
But, you know, at the time, uh, I had uh, 54 delegates for Pennsylvania, you know, so mm-hmm. that, that makes a little bit of noise coming first ballot. Well, again, talking about Lincoln as a politician, Simon Cameron, it, was like, it wasn't like rumored. Maybe it was a little corrupt. It wasn't like, I think this guy might be a little shady. Like, he was shamelessly corrupt. Like, party politics, machine politics, through and through. However, at the time... That got that got people elected. Um, so the fact that Cameron ended up as Secretary of War and ended up as a failure um, were kind of were to, to me a pretty interest. The fact that he was a failure was obvious, but you know Lincoln knew he had to do something to to appease that group. But Cameron was never going to win. He no. but however, you need Pennsylvania. So if you want Pennsylvania, you throw him a few votes on the first ballot, knowing he's not going to win. And it's so funny because all these delegates are like, I have to vote this way on the first ballot. If I, you know, it's like Hall of Fame balloting. Yeah, with exactly. baseball players. Yeah, like we know he should be in the Hall of Fame, but I can't put Bagwell in the first. Right, ballot. the first ballot for some reason, like if you vote for somebody from the first ballot, then you can totally just forget it after that, and it's totally like, oh yeah, I get it. You know, you, we had your support on the first ballot, and then everybody kind of broke for Seward or Lincoln. And most people broke for Lincoln, and then by the second and third ballot, it was a foregone conclusion. Well, then Lincoln's crew—I mean, that was part of their strategy, for knowing sure. Knowing that too, going that, which we'll get into here. Then we have Chase from Ohio, who you mentioned earlier. Yeah, you know, and I think Chase—Chase Chase is interesting to me because he—I think he was a rising star. Seward was much more established, you know. Seward, Seward was there already. Chase and Lincoln were the two rising stars, and Chase obviously had some had some pretty significant street cred because he's the governor of Ohio. Uh, but I didn't know a governor gave you street cred. Yeah, obviously you've never been to Cleveland. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean he's unless you're from Illinois, because then you know well, quite a few of them end up in the slammers. So. That's true. We, yeah, we've got yeah <laughs> quite a few, like all of them except for well of our living governors. No, because Edgar. I guess just half of them, just two out of the four. Street cred, street cred. No, I think maybe four or five. Anyway, uh, but yeah. So so Chase, I think Chase could have possibly been a spoiler there, but he was also, it, to his credit, very much an abolitionist, but also an abolitionist in Ohio, which wasn't exactly a hotbed for progressive <laughs> politics. So you know he was so ambitious and really. I think fought so hard, uh, and and Doris Kearns Goodwin really focuses on that in Team of Rivals. If yeah. you've read that, where I mean, there was a lot of stuff basically looking at Chase as the real rival for the nomination. I, you know, Seward certainly was, and she also spends a lot of time on Seward, but she I, does a great job breaking down the convention, right? And the right. you know the major players and all of it. If you haven't read that book, definitely need to for sure. And one, uh, and she talked about Bates a lot, and I'm like, you know, I'll be honest, I, didn't, I was like, I don't. I was I had a hard time getting into it because I didn't know who he was. Like Edwin Bates from the great state of Missouri. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, Chase. I think Chase could have won, but you know he was, and I think he he may have been. We this may have been a Salmon Chase podcast because him winning the governorship in Ohio as an abolitionist and then kind of working through some things and he and he was and he did some abolitionist work with in in Ohio. With things like the Fugitive Slave Act, and you know, trying to support initiatives at the state level, not to 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 fight the expansion of slavery. So, um, but I just don't think he had the the ground game that that Lincoln did. And then Bates, you know, he's kind of one of the fringe guys coming mm-hmm. in, one of the bigger names. But you know, Missouri, 
Missouri's a fascinating state in the uh-huh. Civil War. Uh-huh. I would love to. I wish HBO would put together a series on just what happened in Missouri, um, with just like a local people who are just trying to stay out of it, stuck mm-hmm. in the middle. It's, I probably shouldn't mention this because this is a great idea where I can get money out. I of agree. Down. That's one of my favorite. That my favorite scene. One of my favorite scenes from from the movie, and we will try not to reference the movie any more than we have to, other than the episode we dedicate to it. Uh, but when that couple from Jefferson City comes in to Lincoln's office and Seward's in there, and they're talking about they want you know they want a small favor from them, and then Seward kind of uses them an example of Missourians, basically saying what they they want the war to end more than anything, and that they're afraid of of black people. They don't use that term, um, but anyway, I thought that was I thought that was brilliant. And then you know, and then Lincoln, you know, I was looking uh, and some stuff just refreshing myself. I came across an article where you know. Um, Governor, uh, uh, who's the Ohio governor that ran? Blinken. Chase? No, the recently. Republican. Oh, Kasich. Kasich, sorry. Yeah. Um, he's kind of, you know, he was using that argument, hey, I'm like the Lincoln going to the Republican <laughs> con- convention, which is just inaccurate. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lincoln really was the number two horse, I oh, think, yeah. going into yeah. it. And then a lot of people, I think, sometimes try to play him off as a bigger underdog than what he truly was. He wasn't the odds-on favorite at the moment no. going in, but he definitely was right there. As probably, I mean, he was the second person, and you see that after the first ballot, it's in Chicago. Um, I think it being in Chicago was huge. a huge deal. Yep. Um, and so I think sometimes people try to paint off like it's like this ultimate underdog story came out of nowhere, which I just think is inaccurate. Right, it's inaccurate. But the funny thing is, is that's exactly the story that they wanted to tell on the floor. That you know, the the the. the the biography that they handed out in 1860 says, you know, his, his, the way he's, you know, summed up his whole life was that it was just simply the, like the annals of the poor, you know, or whatever the poor in America. I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but like their campaign literature was that story. And it's accurate that it was a story. However, you can't tell that story without a name. Like he was well known. They, everyone knew who he was. His speeches were widely published. So it's not like you could be like, vote for this guy. He's risen up from complete poverty. I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> what what else has he done? Um, so yeah, I think he split they, rails. Exactly, he split he split some rails, man. They made that railroad with those rails he split. Um, and I mean, it was David Davis and Ward Hill Lehman were the two floor generals, kind of. They were kind of working that whole thing. And um, yeah, I think the reason that that myth has endured that he was a complete outsider is because they wanted him to be a complete outsider, and it worked. That's never worked in American politics before. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. the complete underdogs that somehow seem to be, like, vastly well-funded. <laughs> you know, nowadays, like, oh, yeah, I'm not even in politics. I don't even know what this is. Yet you seem, you know, you got a war chest of millions and billions of oh, dollars. I'm a, I'm a farmer from Texas. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, even our current president was, you know, in the primary season, was a moderate. You know, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul... Were the were the party guys, you know, the the conservative wing of the party? I mean, maybe to a little bit radical sense, but they, you know, part primaries still tend to gravitate toward moderates, which doesn't have any implication necessarily on what they're going to do once they're elected. Clearly, um, yeah. Then those other guys are, um, or ladies nowadays are the ones that are used to go out there and, you know, stump for the candidate, and hopefully you keep those hardcores. You know, voting and right. behind your moderate horse. Right. That's exactly that's exactly what happens. What they end up doing is is saying like, I am a legit candidate because I'm a moderate. But look, they're, you know, the people who the base, whatever the base means, 
who they support are also campaigning for me. And I think that's what happened with Lincoln too, you know. And I don't think, and I one of the other thing I think it's blown out of proportion when you're talking about Seward and Chase and, and, and all those guys. The fact, like, and I think a lot of it's because Team of Rivals was so popular. I think a lot of people think like, oh, they were bitter enemies and then they ended up on the same team and they all were working together. Like, that happened all the time. Like, that's <sighs> what goes, like, that's how it works. You're like, they're in the same party. They're not. You know, they were certainly rivals for the nomination, and I really think that's what, what Kearns Goodwin was pointing at, was that they were rivals for that and then kind of came together through the subtitle of that book, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. Um, yeah, but, like, I, I had, we we had, um, one, of, one of our former supervisors would always refer to that, like, well, you know, Abraham Lincoln always brought in people that he completely disagreed with. Like, no, he didn't. Like, they, they were all in his party. It's not like he's like, oh, well, here's what we need to do. We need to, you know, he didn't put Douglas on the cabinet. You know, he's not saying like, you know, other than maybe bringing in Johnson, who, who was supportive, by the way, you know, he, you know, he didn't bring anybody from the South in, nor did he try to. Um, he didn't bring any pro-slavery people on board, um, nor did he try to. Like, they weren't rivals any and to any more than Clinton and Obama were rivals, mm-hmm. you know, which obviously there's still that you see that a little bit. Um, and that's another parallel between Seward and Clinton. Once they became secretaries of state, both of them, I believe, kind of revolutionized that role. They were at least certainly more close, closer advisors to the president than probably any other secretaries of state. I would say those two secretaries of state had more of the ear of the president. Arguably than any other one. Ooh, if you disagree, you should write a comment to us. Um, definitely. Right. It's always fun to you know rile uh, Boyce's feathers too. It is. Yeah. Like this. Please disagree with me. I would. Yeah, that would be that. That would be awesome. Let's talk a little bit about the the strategy Lincoln had going in this thing. Um, you know, to me, it was kind of let's stay close. That first ballot, we ain't gonna get it. We ain't gonna be the top one. We need to keep the momentum though. Let's get that second shot, and then let's see what we could do with this, you know, the magical mo, as they say in sports. That's right. Yeah, they say that in politics, too. That was uh, George H.W. Bush, the big mo. Yeah, I think, you know, and that's, like I said, I'm kind of nostalgic for those convention fights. Um, And for a while there, when they were saying that the Republicans this time around, no one was going to have a majority and it was going to be a floor fight, like, there was a lot of political junkies who whose mouths were kind of watering, like, "Oh, this is going to be cool. It'd be like 1860 or 1960 or any you know any anyone in between where um, where there's a fight like that." One interesting thing I think too is you look at Lincoln's who he idolized and his biggest, by far, I believe his biggest hero politically was was Henry Clay, who had the Seward effect. Like, oh yeah, Henry Clay, leader of the party. Most recognizable Whig. Everybody likes him. You know, likes him for the most part. He's gotten a lot accomplished. He's our person. They get to the convention and he keeps losing, you know, because they look at electability. They look at, you know, this guy was, you know, Taylor was a general in the Mexican War. Super popular, super successful. Clay doesn't win the nomination, you know. So I think Lincoln may have learned a little bit from that and, and known recognition's great but i don't want to go into this thing as a favorite yeah i mean definitely poor clay i'm sorry i was gonna call him the buffalo bills 
a politician. Oh, but yeah, they at they, least got to the big dance. You they know? did. Yeah, exactly. They'd be like so, whoever the Buffalo Bills beat. I know they beat the Oilers one I time. I guess the Eagles lost a lot, didn't they, yeah. in the championship but, games? But the interesting thing is the Wigs were winning. Like, he would lose those nominations, you know, and they won a few of them, you know. They, they won with well, with uh, Zachary Taylor and – so, but yeah, definitely. Still, if you go to the Lincoln Home now, there's a portrait of Henry Clay above the fireplace, um, and in the fake Lincoln Home at the Lincoln Museum, there's also a portrait of Henry Clay in the little fake living room there. So, um, yeah, and I think I think the 1860 nomination came down to him astutely remaining a moderate, knowing that he was a moderate, um, and in all to to those that are kind of arguing like, oh, you know he said this or he did this or his stance was for colonization of freed slaves or his stance was for compensated emancipation or, you know, he said they, you know, made these jokes. Like, I'm not forgiving any of that stuff. That's certainly from 2017 goggles, not okay. However, he's a politician. And where we ended up as a nation because of him, I don't think makes all that okay, but you have to accept, like, he was a politician. He was not an abolitionist. He was not a human rights activist. Uh, he was not an activist of any kind. He needed to get things done because that's what politicians are supposed to do. And it kind of brings us back to our conversation that we started with, with the funding cuts. What do politicians do? Not what do they say, not what have they said, but what do they do? And I think that that's the most telling thing about Lincoln is yes, he was elected as a moderate, and I think he realized that if he was not a moderate, he would have never been elected. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100% on that stuff. You know, another thing I found fascinating is just kind of the days leading up to before the ballots are cast, you know. uh, I think Lincoln's uh, strategy, you know, Davis, they're going around rallying up everybody that they know um, does not like um, Seward. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're rallying up all that support, building that up, and they're willing to make deals despite the famous quote that Lincoln said, um, you know, not to make some of those deals out there. Right. Um, And, you know, whereas the other guys are out there kind of throwing the money around and trying to get support that way. Right. Yeah, and I I think that's fun too. Like, in a weird way, I mean, obviously it's not the best for the country necessarily, but when you look at the fact that Simon Cameron ended up as Secretary of War when no one – would acknowledge like, oh yeah, that's a great choice. He should definitely like. Clearly, a deal was made with the Pennsylvania delegation. Like they had to put him in somewhere. And how many countless other positions were filled because of those backroom deal? And like that's where those that, that term backward backroom deal. That's where it came from. Was yeah. stuff like that. Well, that's forty eight more delegates right there. Come the second round, narrowing that gap that he needed to narrow. Um, you know, to keep the momentum going, along with you know boosting up that crowd appeal, which, um, you know, has been kind of put out there as uh, paying some people to go in there and hoot and holler mm-hmm. for Lincoln and mm-hmm. kind of keeping that energy going for him, um, which is a fascinating story in itself. Oh, I know. Isn't that great? Like, you pay people to, to cheer. and Man, it's like, it's dirty politics, but it's so fun. Like, <laughs> it's just fun to, like, think about and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and also back in those days, he didn't select his running mate. Hannibal Hamlin was selected. Mm-hmm. He never had met him, never had even never had even spoken to him. Um, so it does it – I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but how decentralized um, – you know, a lot of t- – I think – I don't want to say decentralized. I think now the, the nominee just kind of becomes the leader of the party, which uh, there's obviously pros and cons of that. But back then, clearly – 
the nominee was not the leader of the party. The party itself kind of, you know, led it. And obviously leaders emerged, but they're going to select their nominee and they're going to select their running mate and they're going to make the platform. And Lincoln wasn't even there. And yeah. Seward wasn't there. Um, well, one that, of them may have gone. I don't know if it was Chase. I don't know. Somebody can maybe check that and correct me on Twitter. I think one of them actually was kind of in Chicago, but it wasn't Seward or Lincoln, and I don't think it was Chase. Um, so, yeah, it's like they weren't even there, and they're making the platform upon which that person is going to run. Um, and then, of course, they didn't really even campaign. It was more party officials. So, yeah, the party politics, you know, you know, talk about bipartisanship now, um, it was truly party leadership that led the whole thing and not well this is the way the system was set up too Mm -hmm. i mean you had no primaries there i mean they had the control of the stuff and then you just look at how the senators you know got sent out to dc i mean that was state party politics that did it so um which is just kind of fascinating and it's probably the same state party politics that kind of led douglas to start swinging popular sovereignty i think he kind of saw the republicans gaining popularity there mm-hmm. and then as soon as he came out on that i mean he lost all favor as far as with the democrats with the president buchanan i mean he pretty much sank his career um going out on that limb there right and then i agree does he get sent to dc if he didn't i mean that's all another fascinating yeah s- story it, it, in itself yeah, or, or were they was it a foregone conclusion were the democrats dead was yeah. it was it a moot point were they going to f- fraction you know and, and sectionalize like the rest of the country um, or like every, I mean, and the other thing too is like with everything with, you know, antebellum history, it's just, a, it's not a question of if it's a question of when, like clay made compromise after compromise that held it all together, you know, um, Webster and, and Calhoun and all those other guys like did what they could to try to push their cause while also keeping everything together. And the powder cake finally exploded. So if Douglas somehow can is as politically astute as Lincoln and can somehow win that election, does he hold it together for another four or eight years? And then and then it and then finally it explodes in 1872 or you know 1870, whenever. Um, who knows? You know. But I I, I do think that that party was going to go down. Uh, the Republicans took advantage of it and, and just kind of filled the void electorally, and, and that's and that's kind of what happened. So, you know, so we had the first vote, and, and it kind of just breaks down to, you know, Seward 173, Lincoln's at 102, Cameron 50, Chase 49, Bates 48, and you got a, you know several others that are collecting a few. And then that's kind of one of the first deals made. Um, you know, Davis goes to Cameron, um, I believe, and or when the, who knows when the deal was sure, made, sure. you know. Um, but then that next ballot's when those all Pennsylvania starts to shift towards Lincoln. And then, you know, you have everybody making their, their votes like we talked about mm-hmm. that you had to make. And then, you know, game's on, second ballot. And that's where everything changes and they mm-hmm. start rallying, you know, the, you know Indiana. Well, they probably already, I think, went Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you start rallying all the other support. And then after that second ballot, you're down to 184 um, and 181 with Lincoln three delegates behind. Mm-hmm. So now it's a two-horse race here. Yeah, and I think you made a great point about momentum. Like, no one cares that Seward's in first on the second ballot. They look at Lincoln going from 102 to 181. You know, he gains 79 ballots. Seward gains nine. And it's over. I mean, it's not literally over, but it's over. Lincoln takes another third ballot. And then, yeah, the third ballot, you know, you need need 233 delegates, by the way, is then, too. So then he comes down to, what, 23 
231 and a half, and then that's when Ohio pushes them over, mm-hmm. um, you know, which I'm sure was probably set up in a Germanic way. And Chase becomes Secretary of the Treasury. Oh, bigger <laughs> that. And then, and then you have that, and then it, that's where it all kind of just blows up after that as far, you know. The, the one piece of it that I think we could benefit most from is that all, all the states are voting at the same time. And I do think that that's one thing that's more democratic about that system than is now. You can really look at, does anybody have a majority? And imagine that if we could, you know, if our voices were heard and it wasn't like, you know, we drastically overemphasize who wins in, in Iowa and New Hampshire and then we kind of end up where we are. So, um, but yeah, that, that you know, Davis and Wardell Lehman pulling and pushing for ballots and running the floor and trying to create an illusion of this groundswell of support and, he gets that momentum on the second bell, and it's and it's over. So, dude, Warhill Layman, we could do a whole episode on him. I think, and maybe we will. I'd he have to brush up a little. Interesting fellow. Not to mention, great name. It is a great Warhill name. Layman. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. It's beautiful. And of course, he had facial hair. With a name like that, you had to have well, yeah. facial hair. Yeah, naturally, in the mid nineteenth century. I guess he was extremely um, anti-slavery. Yeah? yeah. Yeah. So, and he's the one guy who kind of rode in with uh, Lincoln into um, Baltimore. Yeah. He was so. kind of like, a, yeah, it's weird. He goes from like floor general at the convention to essentially like head of the security detail. If like there, on if there his were, own too. Yeah. Like, if there were such a thing. Yeah. That's crazy. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do like sleeping outside Lincoln's room and mm-hmm. stuff and just like randomly being there and just kind of like self appointed almost. Yeah. Because they didn't have anything like that, yeah. which is kind of what we talked about earlier. All right, well, we've been talking about the 1860 nomination for quite a bit, so please uh, send your comments our way on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, our, our email is therailsplitterpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Again, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at railsplitterpod. I do need to mention uh, we did give away 15 railsplitter points that we invented in our first episode. Uh, our friend Jen submitted a response to our big question last week about who Lincoln would prank. Ooh. She feels that Lincoln would prank his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln. I sent a response back saying he's the one of the bravest men in the history of the United <laughs> States. Like he knew he was going to be assassinated and, and still did what he needed to do. He was so brave. I don't think he was brave enough to to prank Mary Todd Lincoln. It's the kids. He'd prank the kids. I think he would. I, yeah. Or, or or he'd like set up a prank like he'd he'd empower them to prank like you Ooh, know it would be hilarious good, yeah. if you guys did this and then they probably did and then and go, then he just let them off the hook go screw it Chase come on <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that guy can't take a joke it's gonna be <laughs> hilarious yeah so anyway fifteen rail split rail splitter points to Jen we appreciate your input if you have any uh, anything to say about this episode we'd love to kind of banter with folks on Twitter. Again, uh, please recommend the podcast to any Lincoln enthusiast that you know. Or we love them to rate us too, won't we? We need some ratings, ratings on and iTunes. Reviews. Yes, so please review us on iTunes. I, I, it's so tempting for me to review our own podcast just to get a rating on there, but I won't do it. So please rate us on iTunes. Uh, Give us a review. Give us suggestions. Yes, for sure. Uh, if it's a two-star rating, that's fine. If it's a five-star rating, that's fine, too. If it's a two-star rating because, uh, boys, I'll be more than happy to read it on there. Yes. Um, heck, you know what? If it's a two-star <laughs> rating because of me, I'll be more than happy to say We might it. just read all the ratings on the air. That might just be something we can do. So uh, Ooh, please give us some fun. suggestions. But, yeah, we would appreciate those ratings on iTunes. And, uh, again, you can find us on iTunes, Podbean, and hopefully soon on Stitcher and YouTube. Nick. 
Any final thoughts? The more reviews, the more ratings, the more leverage we have to start getting guests in, um, talking to people, um, gives us more, uh, you know, leverage when we go out there, talk to some of the local museums in the area, um, and bring you just great guests and would love to give something away down the road too. That would be outstanding. That's right. Uh, one thing to keep an eye out for, we are going to have a brand new rail splitter podcast logo, uh, yeah. that should be in the works. So pay attention for that. That should be pretty cool too. All right. All right. Any parting thoughts? No. I think we're good. No. We'll have to hold off the pitcher till next week. All right. Oh, wait, no. We almost Do we, forgot. We got time for we that? Almost, yeah. Heck yeah. We almost forgot. This Week in Lincoln. Holy cow. I can't believe <laughs> I almost forgot this. I'm going to turn over to Nick. We have a This Week in Lincoln. It is a portrait, professionally painted portrait that he came across in Galena, Illinois, not far from President and General Grant's house. Talk to us about this portrait. Yeah, I was out in Galena, um, you know, with the family, a little Christmas gift for them. Um, and I ran across, basically, it's a it's a portrait of the Republican Party shooting some pool <laughs> in your, you know, your local establishment. So I'm just kind of looking, we'll have to put this out on Twitter for you, mm -hmm. too. So, you know, kind of starting going from left to right here, you know, we, we got the bushes. <laughs> you know, we got dubs and H-dubs. Not you know. literal bushes. Well, um, they are literal bushes. Capital B yeah. bushes. They're kind of hanging out there, chit-chatting, um, you know, looking towards the right. We, we got Gerald Ford absolutely cheesing out there <laughs> um, beyond belief. We, we got good old Teddy. You know, he's having a good time. Then we got Eisenhower right in the middle. Um, I don't know why he's sitting down that close to the pool table. Dude, you know, he's yeah. like, he can, yeah, yeah, like he pulled up a chair like it's a dinner table. Yeah. So then we got Reagan. Then we start moving to the right of the picture. We got Reagan there, um, you know, kind of cheesing it up. And then we got, you know, Tricky Dicky, uh, <laughs> Nixon, standing right behind Lincoln, who's kind of almost the vocal point of this yeah, I think so. um, picture. And then, you know, holding the cues, we got Reagan, Lincoln, and Nixon, it looks like. So looking like it's Lincoln shot up here. So I kind of found this fascinating, yeah. I, you know. We talk about the Republican Party in 1860 to the Republican Party now. I don't know if they're all quite this chummy no. and smiling and, um, you know, just getting along. I just right. found it as fascinating picture. I don't know what your initial thoughts were. Oh, I when, think it's great. I mean, and it fits perfectly into uh, This Week in Lincoln, which is like, uh, you know, trying to find funny, kitsch examples of Lincoln in pop culture. And, you know, if you said, how many guys? There's, what, seven? Like, name seven people Abraham Lincoln would be most likely to hang out and shoot pool with. I don't think you'd name one of the people. Like, somebody painted this like, oh, Republicans are going to love this. It's all the Republican presidents <laughs> playing pool. But it's kind of creepy because, like, they're literally all but the Bushes are dead. And they're all from different eras. And it looks like they're telling inappropriate jokes or something. Like, because they're all laughing in a weird way, especially as you pointed out, Ford. It's, it's, it's awesome and tragic and funny. Either Ford told the joke and mm -hmm. he's just cheesing hardcore over his joke. Or Lincoln, either Lincoln told the joke or just started kind of made a eye roll, making yeah. fun of Ford that everybody's responding to. I just, I like to envision a word, like a thought bubble. What what happened to my party? Well, that would be great. <laughs> what, if, so, what, did you, what did you guys do to my party? Where does Trump go in this? Uh, straight to, well, um... <laughs> Some of the Photoshop yeah. skills. I would love to see oh, where you would place Trump. That, there's, maybe that's you... a good rail splitter question. Rail splitter points. How does Trump fit into this ridiculous setting, this ridiculous pool pool match with all the former Republican presidents? It's it's really 
really something. You know, they did leave out. There's no Grant, no Johnson, no Hayes. No. They left out some Republicans. They went from Lincoln to TR, and then just all the modern ones. Yeah, I guess you are. Right. So, you so those kind of those Rutherford B. Hayes fans out there, are like this, this is no Republican pool party. There is there is no Hayes. Hey, did we get any hate mail about the Fillmore bashing last week? No, no. Maybe we should just make that our thing. Like, we will bash Millard Fillmore. Yeah, we'll have to look, come up no, with the, the Millard Fillmore podcast and the Little Giant Stephen A. Douglas podcast, which doesn't exist. We didn't get hate mail from either one of those. All right, so that was this week in Lincoln. We, every week we'll bring you an example of where Lincoln pops up. We'll get that on Twitter, ways. too, for you to enjoy. All right, Twitter and Instagram, Real Splitter Pod. So I think that's all we have for you this week. We will see you next week. So keep acting with malice toward none and with charity for all, and we'll see you soon.